place is different. Special. The others don't want to talk about it because it scares them. But we all know it. We all feel it. Welcome to The Storm, a Lost Rewatch podcast. My name is Dave Gonzalez, and the first thing I would buy if I won the lottery is a Mint Inbox Playmates Simpsons Springfield Main Street playset. My name is Joanna Robinson, and my less like fun, childlike answer to this is the first thing that um, I would buy if I won the lottery is a house by the sea. So if you have millions of dollars and are listening to this and are like, what could I give to Joanna that would make her happy? It would be an entire house by the sea. So thank you. Get right on that. Uh, mysterious, very rich listener. Neil? <laughs> and I'm Neil Miller. <laughs> and if I won the lottery, I would immediately buy a six-week spa vacation and disappear. So that's how you'll know if I ever won the lottery is you won't hear from me for like two months. And then I'll come back and all of a sudden have a lot more money. So yeah, it'll be fun. I can't wait for it to happen. You have a lot more money and all of your pores will have been exfoliated multiple times. I'll be like, you know, tens of pounds less. Just naturally glinting in the sun. I'll be totally detoxed. It's great. Can't wait. I'm rooting for you, Neil. (laughs) Good news for fans of Lost. You now have some numbers to play in the lottery because we're up to season one, episode 18 numbers it's a hurley episode if this is your first time with the show welcome we split the show into two parts the calm which we only talk about episodes that we have watched in this rewatch the first 18 episodes of lost which it's been really hard to bleep out references to lottery and numbers and i think we got we were like 95 percent good for those of us that have wanted to uh, stay in the calm section of our podcast. After that, we have a section called The Storm, where we go full spoilers about the entire season of season. The entire series of Lost, uh, in, especially in reference to this episode. This particular episode, I'm going to have some nerding out to do about web content that is connected to the series. But... That'll all be in the storm, second half of the show. You'll see a time code in your show notes when that will begin. Also, you should know you can support us at patreon.com slash stormofspoilers. We have three different levels of engagement. The lowest is just $1 a month. Gets you access to our Slack. The best part of the internet where you could chat with fellow fans about literally anything. And then 
at our highest $10 level, you get access to all of our bonus content, which is sprinkled amongst the mid $5 level as well. Pick your flavor, patreon.com slash storm of spoilers. Let's get on with more loss with Joanna, who has compiled reviews for this show. Do we have any good ones this week? We have uh, no new ones this week. Oh. Oh. <laughs> so get on that, folks. Get on that, y'all. And remember <laughs> our rule. I was telling someone, I was telling uh, Peter from Slash Film on Twitter today that you have to institute the, if you leave five stars, you can say anything you want rule. Because he got a very confusing three-star, like very positive three-star review on his podcast. So I was like, you got to do our rule. So do our rule. Yeah, I like it. Five five stars, you could say anything you want. We're going to be very receptive to five-star criticisms. Uh, less so for, you know, one-star criticisms. If you, if, you, if you take a shot at us right at the algorithm, that's not a good faith criticism, or, I don't think. Or you could just be nice to us. That's okay, too. <laughs> Sometimes it's fun to not read horribly mean things about myself. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's fine, too. Well, how can people get a hold of us uh, if they're not yeah. leaving iTunes reviews? Um, they can always email us, hosts at stormpodcast.com. They can go to our website, stormpodcast.com, just to find out, you know, more info. Uh, they can go to Twitter at stormpodcast and tweet at us. That's been really fun. Uh, we've been running some fun polls on there. Uh, so it's fun to keep up with your storm hosts over on Twitter at stormpodcast. Um, we have, uh, a great guest this week on the podcast, guys. Who do we have? We have Hurley on the podcast. We do. We have Jorge Garcia. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I thought that would be like more fun and dramatic. I thought if you, I thought you might want to say it. You're the one who did the yeah. interview. <laughs> uh, Jorge Garcia, who plays Hurley, is on this podcast talking about uh, this episode specifically and then sort of some of his broader thoughts about the show. Um, and then he's got some like fun stories for us, um, spoilery stories that you can hear if you're a Patreon subscriber at the ten dollar above level. We'll have a bonus episode with some spoiler thoughts from Jorge Garcia. Um, but that is who we have on the show this week. And so the last thing that I have to do here in this section is read an email from you guys. Um, <clears throat> full disclosure, we uh recorded these episodes a little out of order so you will have heard an email on next week's podcast or you will hear it's a little timey-wimey this whole thing you will hear um an email on next week's podcast and this is like sort of a response to that actually you know what i think i should put this in the storm section i'm gonna save this this apologize for that confusing preamble uh instead i'll read this one from sherry who is responding to something we said on last week's episode uh lost in translation um sherry says i think the biggest takeaway i had on this rewatch is the very problematic way men interact with women on the show there's a lot of ownership attitude from jack Jin, and boone in just the first season most of the men in the series make decisions for the women in their lives instead of interacting with them on a partnership basis uh, and this continues going forward in season two. All right. The paternalism really infuriates me on this go around. Still a great show though. And the show is great. And that review criticizing Joanna was really mean. Thanks, Sherry. Um, the subject of Sherry's email was infantilizing some. So I think that was just reacting to our discussion last week of like why we had this shot paralleling this little girl and, um, the grown actress who plays son. And I think that that's, you know, uh, in our interview last week with, um, 
Javier Grigio, Mark's Watch, who's one of the uh, writers on the show in the first two seasons, he sort of agreed. I mean, I didn't even prompt him that. He just sort of brought he, up. He just led, the, yeah, led with it. Archetypes, the slightly controlling archetypes of the men on the show that, that don't uh, look as great uh, in 2019. The good news is, though, this is a Hurley episode, and as far as I can recall, Hurley respects women more than maybe any other man on the island. So, <laughs> um, yay, Hurley time. Hurley's doing great. <laughs> Hurley's the best. <laughs> well, Hurley also doesn't, as we see in this episode, have that many daddy issues. I feel like it's a, there's a daddy issues adjacent thing to like the sort of, uh, paternal control things that that are also explored in this show like it's is like one sort of leads into the other sometimes i have storm thoughts about that we can talk about okay. it later excellent another asterisk for the storm which will come after the calm which will come after these words about feet neil you have a story about yourself and sesame street that i would just love for our listeners to hear yes well I've been hearing about uh, these Bombas socks. You've heard of these? We've been talking about them and how they're supposedly the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. All feet. Yeah, so I got a couple pairs. I got one pair. They have actually multiple collections, which I think are fun, one of which is a Sesame Street-themed collection. So I now have these blue, fuzzy socks with red and pink stripes that are Grover socks. And this past weekend, I wasn't feeling super well, so I put on my comfy Grover socks, Mm -hmm. and I just sort of chilled out in the house and watched a bunch of comedies on Netflix, mostly Canadian. I will say this, they are super soft, and uh, my feet do now uh, daydream about them. So I can confirm that the Sesame Street Bomba socks rule. All Bomba socks are made from super soft, natural cotton, and every pair comes with arch support, a seamless toe, and a cushioned footbed that's comfy, like Neil says, but not too thick, so you could still enjoy the carpeting of your home or the insoles of your shoe. Can confirm. Bombas are what feet daydream about, I'm told, which yep. adds a weird question about the sentience of feet that I wasn't ready for, but here we are, Neil. And well, you know... <laughs> Well, can I just say that my favorite part of all of this is that for every Bombas purchase you make, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. Aw, so someone in need maybe got some Grover socks. Yeah, so, you know, you can buy your Bombas at bombas.com slash storm today and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash storm for 20% off bombas.com slash storm. And we're back. Neil, remind us what happened this week on the island. Well, Dave, this is episode 18, numbers? Yep, 18, cool. Uh, sorry, the timey-wimey stuff got me off. Anyway, this episode is directed by Daniel Attias. I think that's how you say it. Written by David Fury and Brent Fletcher. It aired on March 2, 2005. It takes place on days 35 and 36 on the island. In flashbacks, we learn that Hurley used the numbers, which are 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. Huh? See how fast you can say them. 
Uh, he totally used these to win the lottery, which sets off a, ba- a string of bad luck events, including the death of his grandfather, the burning down of his mom's new house, a pastor being struck by lightning, a sneaker factory in Canada burning down, and his mom hurting her ankle, not to mention him getting racially profiled by the police being arrested. He also, this is notable, buys a box company in Tustin. Hurley begins to believe that the numbers are what is cursed, which leads him back to Leonard in a psychiatric hospital where he was recently a visitor. Uh, Leonard freaks out and tells Hurley to go to Australia and find Sam Toomey. In Australia, he finds Sam's wife, her terrible accent, and a story about how the numbers might actually be cursed. We'll get back to that accent in a second. You sure will. (laughs) (laughs) On the islands, Hurley sees the numbers on Russo's map, steals it from Saeed, and takes off on his own to find her. Saeed, Jack, and Charlie go after him. They all end up on an Indiana Jones-style mission together to find the Frenchwoman. When they find her house, it blows up. Hurley ends up having a bit of a therapy session when he eventually finds Rousseau, uh, and they hug it out. It's great. Michael and Jin have begun to rebuild the raft very quickly. Uh, it's annoying to Sawyer, but it's happening. And now, thanks to Hurley, they have batteries. Claire unknowingly helps John make a crib for the baby. Uh, also, it's Claire's birthday. I guess. that That's just like a thing that goes by. Hurley and Charlie end it all with uh, a sharing of secrets. Sort of. Charlie's not quite sold on Hurley's lottery win. Uh, it all ends with a shot of the hatch, which... Oh, boy. Oh, shit. The numbers are etched on the hatch, guys. Oh, oh it's crazy. Uh, my fun fact this week is that this episode includes multiple Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom references, uh, both when Sawyer calls Walt short round and then when Charlie and Hurley do the rope bridge adventure stuff, uh, which is very Temple of Doom. Uh, this week's opening question. I told you we'd come back to this. I feel like True. you keep stu- stepping on, on my original bit, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. True or false, Sam Toomey's wife, Martha, has the worst fake Australian accent on Lost to date. It's not just to date. It's, I can promise you listeners, for the entire series. Um, <laughs> the actress who plays Martha Toomey, uh, Jane uh, Tiny, I think is her name, uh, who is American, obviously. Uh, she is the inspiration for the how authentic is this accent game that we've been playing in previous episodes? She is like the A to Z bad accent. Of I mean, Lost. this is, yeah, it's, and then they give her, not only do they cast this woman who's obviously not Australian, they give her this long monologue in the middle of the episode. And it's just so painful to watch. Does uh, anyone want to, t- Guess how big a jar it has to be to hold, uh, like over four billion beans. <laughs> how big does the jar have to be? God, I don't know. I just, just when she said what that thing, of, it's like he used he used the numbers. That, well, I mean, for t- if it was like some sort of weirdly small bean, and the answer was like in the billions, it makes sense that this guy had like an unbeatable bean challenge. That was beat by curse numbers, but at least when I was watching it, I'm like, usually these beans are like jelly beans or pinto beans. In my story time, guys, in my elementary school, we had this thing called How Much is a Million, where we built a case to fit a million pennies. And then like everybody in the school would bring whatever pennies like their parents or family had accumulated over the week. 
And then they so dump it's a it. way of extorting working class people out of their pennies. Well, I mean, they could donate to the school, but the idea was to show, <laughs> also show to the kids how much like a million actually looks like in volume. And a million pennies is like, it looks like a coffin or a sarcophagus that could fit like two corpses, two human corpses comfortably. Uh, a billion, a billion beans of any type of bean. It would be a ridiculous carnival-sized charge that, like, this guy must be carting it around Australia. Or no, not Australia. Carting it around America as, like, some sort of sideshow act. That must be his, like, whole deal. Makes no sense. The Bean Man? Bean. The Bean Man. The the implied Bean Man of the Lost Mythology. <laughs> um, Can I talk about a little extra Lost Mythology in this episode? Let's. Um... I didn't know this until Lostpedia told me this. This is something that I've never noticed. But the woman who's pulling the numbers uh, is the woman that, like, Sawyer was trying to hook up with in the episode Outlaws. So. Oh. I don't know what Sawyer thought he was doing with the woman who pulls the lotto numbers. Yeah. Here in the uh here in the back nine of Lost First Season, they're really pulling all the little tiny connections. All the connections. Oh. Yeah, now we know why Hurley was on. Did, did and you, isn't Did you wind up bleeping that, Dave? From in translation? I did. Okay, great. Nice. Now we know why Hurley was on the TV in Korea. It's because he won the lottery. Yes. Did you also see the fun facts about how the voice, like the male anchor who kicks it to the lotto? girl is carlton cuse's voice no that's great yeah but here's my all kinds of little fun stuff in this episode yeah here's my favorite detail from this episode okay so lostpedia which if you're watching for the first time i recommend you not go on because there's like a lot of forward-looking stuff on there but this show has been poured over in such granular detail by the fans um that this that the fact that this entry exists on lostpedia drives me crazy uh while Hurley is walking on the beach and later when he is driving his Hummer H2, a hip-hop song is heard playing. The artist and the title have yet to be identified despite the best efforts of many fans, leading many to believe it was created especially for the show. But like, how is that not, uh, how, how is that not known yet? If you know the answer to this musical question, listeners, please email us. Uh, I think, uh, not to yes and you, but if you scroll down, I believe TV.com got it confirmed that it was a rap song created specifically for the show and is uh, not not otherwise available. Um, well, it's a great hook. Um, well, it's funny because like every time I keep getting fooled every time I watch because he's walking down the beach and the song is playing and he doesn't have his headphones in because as we know, his CD player died. Um, and I'm like, wait, I thought I read, uh, trivia about there being no non-diegetic music, uh, other than these couple instances. And then it like cuts to him driving the Hummer and I'm like, oh, it's a fade over. I, see. I also. I also really like it because uh, until reading those bits of trivia on Lostpedia, I was like, of course that's a rap song that exists. Because uh, whatever the lyrics are, just a stereotypical thing that you would blast out of a yellow H2 Hummer, I think. It feels very authentic. Uh, so it's even funnier to me that it probably started... I don't know. It'd be interesting to know how it was in the script. Is it like, does it have the lyrics of the rap song because his mom does kind of respond to it? Or is it just like insert stereotypical rap song about being rich and being the boss? 
I don't know, but I really hope there is a rap song that's just about being the boss of a box company. That would be pretty great. I think, I think we can <laughs> say the info about that box company that we already know someone on the show who yeah. works for a box company, which is Locke. So, in Tustin. Yeah. yeah so, uh, you can <clears throat> that's draw, not a secret. You can draw your own conclusions about whether or not that's the same box company, but, um, I mean, how yeah. many box companies are there in Tustin, California? I mean, it's, it's a good, I don't know. That might be the box making capital of, uh, of the nation. You don't know. That very well could be. Yeah. <laughs> so I think in, in addition to Hurley's flashback of, uh, misfortune in the lottery, one of the big things this episode does is, you know, bring Russo back into the series as more of like a supporting character because now Hurley's found her. Which means she it, it is capable to find her. When I think that's uh, you know sort of the big question of this episode, uh, especially after she blows up her old old place uh, and conveniently singes uh, Saeed's photo of Nadia just around the edges. Um, but now uh, you know instead of like this hovering phantom presence that sort of tortured Saeed, we get uh, Russo not only possibly accessible to our losties in the future but very nice to hurley once they have a connecting monologue scene where jorge garcia gives it his all and uh russo does some of her trademark uh i don't i don't know glaring she's a real good glarer it's like a glare that then transitions into like a daydream and then it's like she's looking at a puppy and like all these things just kind of happen with (laughs) how she's holding the gun and how her eyes are watering she's just got she's got the whole spectrum of human emotions going on it's a it's some great lust but um we get a little bit more about her backstory that her research uh team came to the island uh, following a broadcast of those numbers uh, that then she later found in a radio tower that where it was broadcasting from, and it had been broadcasting on a loop, and she changed that loop to uh, the distress signal that we heard. The broadcast tower was apparently near the Black Rock, and I think that's our... Oh, and uh, she gives Whatever them a battery. Yeah, whatever that um, is. Quick question. Mm. Do we know how long... So, did she say how long she's been on the island? 16 years? Right? Something like um, that. I, think, I thought Saeed deduced it from, like, the... Yeah, from okay. From the number I was just, of transmissions uh, there have been. Because in this episode... um Not Leonard. Uh, What's his... Toomey. His mother. His wife. The lady with the bad accent says that they heard the signal like 16 years ago. So it's like Rousseau was out there researching the thing and probably shut it off right after Leonard or right after, um, God, what's his name again? Sam Toomey. Sam Toomey. Right after Sam Toomey heard it, essentially. Yeah. So that broadcasts yeah, 16 somehow. Years. 16 years okay. is the. So yeah. So it's, it's right about that same time. It's just interesting. Well, a little before because we, oh no, no no never mind yep you're right because that's why Hurley was in Australia um okay because you know how sometimes you're watching a flashback and you're like I'm not sure when like we don't know necessarily when Hurley won the lotto you know we don't know how long he was rich and blah blah, blah but we do know that the things that take place in Australia are usually right um, before the flight right yeah well yeah but we do know he says like what does he say like to Charlie at the end like about a year ago sure. I won the lottery. 
Um, thank you for calling that out so that someone doesn't get mad at me. I should say we got some like weird <laughs> feedback on the fact that we got the date of the crash wrong. And I just want to say that like, from, oh, from sorry. Someone, well, no, it's okay. It's not, it's fine that you got that wrong. Um, and there are plenty of people who wrote in to correct us just sort of like, Hey, got it wrong. You know, that's fine. There are some like <laughs> gatekeeping people on, um, on the internet that are like, they're not real lost fans because they don't know when the crash date was. And I just want to say that like, A, we are all lost fans, but B, we're not like lost, uh, encyclopedic lost experts. Like maybe Dave is, but like, uh, <laughs> I, like Neil and I are, are not claiming to be experts. We're just sort of like all watching this together. So if we will get some things wrong, we will miss some things. Uh, we're, we're having fun. We're finding connections. We're looking back many years later, but we're not like, we don't know every single thing that anyone has ever said about Lost. So, or at least I don't. So just don't, don't worry about holding me to that standard because I'm not holding myself to that standard. <laughs> Um, I mean, all I have to say is, how do you know I'm not getting the dates wrong on purpose? Well, it's some secret code. Yeah. Or Neil's just being like really <laughs> adherent to the calm and they haven't firmly established uh, when the crash was on in the first season yet. We just I mean, all that's technically true. I mean, we, we just know. We know now because, you know, fun facts of omnipotence to a story that's over because damon lindelof at a certain point decided that he needed to explain everything let's talk <laughs> about the c-plot <laughs> let's c-plot yes. of this episode is Locke and claire build a crib mm-hmm. now i'm not gonna go too far into this because we're gonna s- discuss more of this in the storm but like this is probably the most like you know Maybe the worst thing that we've seen Locke do on this island so far is goop Boone, uh, right? And tie him up and leave mm-hmm. him in the jungle. This to me seems like the kindliest thing that Locke has done, which he's just like hung out with Claire on her birthday, gave her something to do. So she felt useless, useful, uh, talked to her, gave her like a little bit of therapy about like her, her missing memory. And then in the end, there was a crib. It was just such a lovely lock thing to do, I think. In this lock episode. is on an upward Absolutely. slope of the past few episodes where he's been showing up with the answers uh, for everyone. And he's really, he's really feeling shamanistic at this stage. And Terry O'Quinn's pulling it off once again with the balance that I pointed out, where like the first two times you cut to that, you really do think he's making a trap and that it's all spiky. Then you cut back and they've like somehow. You know, they're trying to hide that it's an upside-down crib, but it is like an upside-down crib. And you're like, Claire, maybe Claire's the dumb one. Anyway. Claire's a little dumb. She's, Claire's like, a little... she's like, what is it? And everyone in the audience is like, it's a crib, Claire. It's a crib. <laughs> <laughs> hey, she's a little wrapped up in the fact that she can't remember anything. But uh, I think you it know? was, yeah, I think it was for last week's interview uh, where Javier mentioned that the the physicality of Terry O'Quinn really helped uh, them develop Locke because he was able to go a little bit further than they were used to with the, the other characters he played up to that point. And I think this is a great example because he's like doing work and it's like work to make like a gentle little crib thing, but he has to hide that under possibly he's being just bored or menacing the many layers of Locke, which got to keep us, got to keep us guessing. But at this point he seems to be helping people out. Uh, 
with it, with their consent and uh, have hasn't gooped anybody for a couple of days. I <laughs> mean, he might he might he might have gooped the crib. We'll we'll find out. Um, oh, don't goop a baby. <laughs> I do like that. He's like, I made my own glue, Claire. Duh. I rendered some animal fat. Duh. I'm amazing at goop. <laughs> I'm the goop master. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Okay. Um. So, uh, Hurley is the last of the 14 main characters to get a flashback episode devoted to him. That's just a fun fact of Lost. And I think some people who love Hurley are like frustrated that we get like, I don't know, two, two plus Jack flashbacks before we get a single Hurley flashback. But another thing that's true is that they didn't, they didn't have Hurley's backstory cracked until I think that hiatus that they took, um, a few episodes ago because um in the original concept hurley was like uh, a repo man and his uh, his charm was sort of like his superpower like he could charm anyone like he he would come and take your stuff but you would be happy about it because he's so charming. Like that was the concept for Hurley. And then um it was over lunch i think it was that they in a diner where they were like what if he won the lotto and there are these numbers and they have this like weird significance that we can talk about in the storm. Well, what if that? And uh, so that's how we got Hurley's story. And they start to see some references into his wealth a few episodes before this, but it's not like there from the beginning because they hadn't figured it out yet. So I think this episode ends around special or uh, like, like special to me where I've seen some amazing stuff, but I could assume coincidence or an actual curse, I think, with a lot of these things. The narrative wants me to believe in curse because I'm on Hurley's side and up to his monologue. He needs someone to believe him. The audience is there. Danielle believes in him. That's enough for Hurley to, you know, hold on for a little bit longer and think that, you know, maybe it's just a curse, but he doesn't have to worry about it for some reason on the island. Uh, And then it shows up on the hatch. It's like a cliffhanger where it's like, just when you thought it could have been coincidence or in Hurley's head and about Hurley feeling better. No, there might actually be a curse. You might actually be on a jungle island of mystery, which, uh, you know, we are. But sometimes uh, I think especially with episodes like this, there's a lot of danger with implied magic, uh, but we're not quite to full magic here that I can tell. The numbers, I guess, how many combinations of those numbers can you I mean, have? Maybe that's... Are we, though? Mathematicians are probably, like, laughing at me that there would be any other, like, random combination of that many numbers. I don't know. Are we, yeah. Neil? Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, that's what's interesting to me is that um, it is easy to write off a lot of the bad things that happened to Hurley as coincidence until that final shot. That final shot to me was when, like... I don't know. We've seen plenty of different island magic things, but uh now it f- now it feels like it's ramping up significantly. And it's ramping up in a way that like they they come out with it all in the same episode. You know, we go from just Hurley winning the lottery with these numbers to, you know, yarn walls worth of conspiracy stuff in one episode just with the numbers, which I think uh 
feels again, we're, and this feels like something we're going to talk about a lot as, as we get through the back half of season one, just feels like super confident, you know, from the writer's room perspective, it's like, that's a really big shot to call, which is we have this set of numbers, this large set of numbers that have deep significance, at least to one character. And, uh, we're also going to put them on the most mysterious thing in our show, which we haven't even dealt with yet, which is the hatch. Hatch, so, hatch, hatch, hatch. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I think, I think if if they had ended it without showing the numbers in the hatch, you could, it would be sort of a more ethereal thing. But uh, it becomes very real when the numbers are in plain sight on the island. Um, yeah, I, I mean, but isn't it? Doesn't it exist as like a clean storytelling loop for you that? There's this island with this mysterious broadcasts, and his friend heard the broadcast and used the broadcasts on an impossible amount of beans, and you know drove his <laughs> other friend to a mental institution. I feel like you're where just stuck on the it. beans thing. I mean, well, there's a lot of improbabilities, but of all of them, <laughs> the amount of beans is the the biggest to me. But like that seems like a like a isn't that a weird real life story? Like that's a weird this American life story right there. That story of how the numbers got Hurley back to the island. Yeah, I but think maybe. There's still in but, there's still in plausible deniability space with the network. They still this is something that sure. that Javi talked about in the interview that they still had to have you know, as you as you mentioned somewhere, Neil, somewhere in these episodes that we've recorded these past few weeks that <laughs> um that one idea at a point was that the polar bear was going to be like on the plane. You know what I mean? They needed they like the network really wanted them to have like concrete um explainable uh situations for all of the phenomena i mean sure there's like a weird noise in the jungle but that could be anything that you could explain um so i think i think you're right i think dave's right that like the numbers are still if there was a broadcast from the island with those numbers and the numbers are on the hatch that's island stuff so it affects Rousseau and it affects the Toomeys and then it gets to Leonard and then it gets to Hurley. Um, are the numbers cursed? Maybe. Maybe. I think it's as weird as uh, Walt might have killed a bird with his mind. <laughs> Remember that time Walt <laughs> might have killed a bird? Um, okay, wait. Uh, a few things. With his magnetic mind. Sorry, guys. Um, you're not forgiven. Number one, um, something that I think it's okay to say that like, this is not the last we've seen of Rousseau, right? Now that she's come back for a second episode, it's like, all right, here's a here's a figure on the island. I was right? trying to well, subtly I mean, hint at that before without saying that, but yes. I know. I think it's okay to say that. I don't think that's a crazy spoiler. Rousseau. Um, so uh people people have asked us in the past to, for me to like repeat things that Diana, our producer, said as she's watching Lost for the first time. Diana has started calling Rousseau uh party coyote, which is what I called um <laughs> <laughs> Billy Lord's character in Booksmart, uh, which is, she just like crops up and you're like, oh, it's Rousseau. Um, so, and the thing about Rousseau, the reason why she's a bit, she was able to survive on the island for 16 years is she does shit like Saeed came to her lair once and then she's like, well, gotta rig this with explosives. Well, <laughs> just gotta blow this up this house. Gotta move on. Like that's, that's how Rousseau survived. She's like, oh, I don't fuck with any of this shit. <laughs> I will blow whatever I need to blow up. It's fine. This is fine. Pack um, up the batteries and music box. Yeah. <laughs> blow the rest of Electrified bed pricks. <laughs> um, and then the other thing that I want to call out in this episode is, uh, what a, like, we, 
we talk a lot about the the iconic friendship of Charlie and Hurley, but Charlie's a real fucking jerk to Hurley in this episode. There's a lot of fat jokes and there's a lot of like, and then he just doesn't believe him when he tells him his lottery story in the end, which is like kind of funny, but also just like of all the things you've seen on this island, like the fact that Hurley might've won the lottery is like too unbelievable for you or what have you. So like, I don't know. I'm, I'm team very yeah. not into Charlie. There's just like a lot of like both direct and casual fat jokes from Charlie in this episode that I, I don't like. I agree with you um, from a character standpoint, but I also see how they fell into that rut because like that's the angry smaller guy is the half of the comedy duo to the calm witted uh, bigger guy. I do like that, that Hurley's not like taking it. He's like, Hey, like fuck you, dude. Like, I, yeah, I, hear I you. love one of my favorite moments this episode is that is when Hurley, like when Jack is like, wait, we'll come around, you know, we'll find our way across. And Hurley's like, no, screw that. We're going ahead. And Charlie's tries to like dress him down for not listening to Jack. It almost feels like, like a meta commentary of sorts. It's like, why are we listening to this guy? Like Hurley's the first person to be like, I don't have to listen to Jack. I don't have to, yeah. I'm on my own mission here. It's cause he's got um, that key around his neck. Doesn't make him bleeder <laughs> anybody. Yeah, right. And I think it all, it, it all becomes more powerful because Hurley up to this point has been mostly just delightful as a human. And like the, obviously the comic relief and he's been the person trying to help stay organized and de-stress everyone with the golf course. Uh, and this is the first time we're seeing him be, you know, forced into some sort of action or um you know really on a mission and i really like that about hurley i think he's great yeah he makes a good person to have on your team of survivors uh and even though but everybody yeah. kind of like underestimates him but at the beginning um but i agree with joanna charlie is a total dick in this episode it's not cool well, yeah, we <laughs> we've learned not to expect much from Charlie uh here here in the calm uh of the Storm of Lost Street Watch podcast cuz you know, he's got some drug angles and problems. Um so uh Shannon is worried about Saeed going back out into the jungle. How are we feeling about Shannon for our weekly Shannon check-in? Fine. We got actual relationship ruin. Okay. Yeah, Shannon's living her new life on the islands. Good, good. Just want to check in with it. Boom Obviously, not an exciting prompt. Shannon's status. Better exciting prompt. Was there a giant bite taken out of that boar bait that Hurley walked under? Oh, and if there was, I I didn't notice it. It looks like half of it is kind of like exposed, and I haven't baited a lot of traps in my life, so I don't know if that was a bite or something you do to like expose the smell to predators i guess unimportant all right um uh, <laughs> before we move into our interview uh, which will also contain our most 2004 thing i'm told uh is there anything else we need to bring up this week for numbers i don't think so um yeah i i, I do want to say in our interview um i got jorge to name the most 2004 thing about this episode so we will take that as the gospel of the most 2004 thing about this episode there's also some fun stuff in there about like stunts that he had to do also uh hair tips for curly hair tips for humidity all kinds of fun stuff uh in this interview with the great jorge garcia ah curly hair tips with humidity so this is the episode where you get to find out 
Hurley's backstory, which deviates significantly, I think, from what they originally had in mind for your character. So I was wondering if you could sort of tell us what, how you reacted to finding out what Hurley's uh, true story was. Well, I, I got a preview. I, I was an email that Damon had sent that kind of gave me uh, the gist of um, that Hurley's backstory basically being, uh, you know, multimillionaire. Um, and, but by then, you know, we'd, I was kind of like, yeah, that's cool. But what's the twilight zone part of my episode? And like, what's the, what's the re what's the, what's the little kernel that makes people go, Whoa, wow. Kind of thing. Like, like finding out that locks in a wheelchair, what's my bit. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I didn't get that. So I finally got the script and saw that last line where I said the numbers were on the, the hatch. Yeah. That's a huge moment. And then what was your reaction to that about the finding out about the numbers? I liked it. I thought that was cool. The, the numbers on the hatch definitely, uh, cemented Hurley's place in the Island mythology. And I thought that, that, that was kind of, uh, great, you know. Uh, it gave a little sense of job security on top of it. Too. <laughs> You're like, well, you can't get rid of me now. Um, and then do you remember? At least not for a little while. <laughs> do you remember what the fan reaction was to finding out Hurley's big uh, secret about the, the lotto? It's probably what started uh, people asking if I ever played the numbers in the lottery in real life. When did you first realize that Lost was – quite the phenomenon that it was like when were you first aware well i mean there's different stages of that we we had like the first summer that we came to do the show uh we were just kind of uh you know not unlike the show we were just kind of we found ourselves we were living together on an island and we were the only people we knew there <laughs> and so that's kind of where it started as far as like our cast relationship. And it kind of is this, this thing that we're like, we knew we were working on something. We knew it seemed different from anything else. I mean, after we did like house of the rising sun, it was like, Oh, there aren't really shows that are being made right now that are half subtitled. We had our fingers crossed that we were hoping we'd get ratings that were close to alias ratings. Cause that was the other JJ show mm-hmm. that was on TV. And we're like, yeah, it's probably. And then when we premiered, we premiered really high and we premiered beyond alias numbers. And then we were like, and I remember going to work and being like, well, I hope, hope you like Hawaii. Cause we might be here for a bit. <laughs> I think the first award show was the first golden globes and they're seeing the crowds and the reaction from the people in like the peanut gallery that were, you know, on the side of the red carpet and stuff. I was going, Oh, this is, this might be a bigger deal than I think about. Cause you get used to one of the great things about shooting out in Hawaii and so far away was like this, uh, this sense that it was almost like, Oh, it's just uh, something that me and my friends do in the jungle. Right. And, uh, and then it isn't until you find yourself, going to other places and doing public or like when I would, <clears throat> I would, I would always like be available to do international press. Cause they always flew you to some, um, places, you know, I'd never been before. And it was kind of, uh, nice, you know, you do some interviews, but you can also turn a little vacation out of it. Right. We'd, we'd get flown to London. It's like, I I'd been to London the year before, before loss had started airing. Cause, uh, the UK kind of started a year late and the first airings of 
lost. I mean, by the end of the season, everything started kind of airing simultaneously around the world. That was what they started moving towards. But I remember walking. It was one thing just going around. And it was funny because it aired in other European countries. So sometimes there's one, there was like some group of like Swedish teenage school trip girls that went a little crazy in the street at one point and the other people who were locals are being like, I don't know what, who this person is and what these people are. <laughs> I think it's just to do about them. Circling back to um, Hurley's backstory, like, did you get to have any input at all in your backstory? I'm thinking specifically of like the family dynamic uh, that's on display in this episode, like with, your, with the woman who plays your mother. I'm not really a, a, an actor that uh, comes, goes to writers to throw a pitch at ideas. I kind of, I kind of like everyone having their own specialization, you know, it's like you, you give me the song to sing and I'll, you know, play my little piano and sing my little song for you. And then that's <laughs> the feedback that uh, I think we give to each other. And so it's like, I think when they find they write to certain things and, and you, if you perform it well, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll write to those strengths, I think. Yeah. One thing that um, I know that people really love with Hurley in season one is all, all this business with the, with a CD player, um, which is fun for people watching for the first time. They're like, Oh yeah. Disc man. I remember. Um, yeah. <laughs> did you have a certain music that like, were you actually listening to music when you were, when you had those headphones in? And if so, do you remember what you were jamming out to? Or was it just like nothing? Uh, wait. I don't. I don't think it was anything. I think it was. You. I think part of the fear was you didn't want something that you would tap. You. You know, like nod your head to or, or to a rhythm that didn't exist when the finally music got chosen. Right. So you kind of had to be ambiguous. This was the. I mean, at least the first show that I know of where there was a lot. You know, where we started, like, after an episode of We Air, we started, like, going and see what the fans were buzzing about mm-hmm. and what they were picking up on and what they were looking for, finding. Like, if they were finding things that were like, oh, I didn't even know that was there or if it even was there. I don't even – I don't know. And there was – like, when Ethan was introduced and there was uh, – is there's the episode of Hurley falling asleep by the fire and uh, Ethan and Locke show up. Yeah. Ethan was new. But Terry and I hadn't worked in a while, so we were like really like chomping at the bit to get to act, and we started like just doing extra little bits and stuff and some takes, and uh, got a little bit uh, in William's way uh, at one point. But they were giving him different takes and different ways to do it, to to say certain things. Or like, all right, now do it, you know, now do it more menacing. I do it <laughs> uplifting. Now uh-huh. do it like a robot. You know, it was kind of. It was kind of funny and kind of weird, and and they're like, going, I don't know if we know where this is going yet. So, do you remember when when you filmed this episode numbers? Do you remember if they told you why Hurley was once uh, institutionalized? They didn't tell me. Is that hard? Is that hard to play? Like um, knowing that there is this sort of key element of your character, which is like an, a time in an institution, but not being able to know exactly what that, that was. No, well, I like, um, I like venturing into the unknown as an actor a lot. I like the gray areas and I like when you, well, when I have, at least in doing lost uh, and, uh, this was definitely the, 
the deepest I ever went up to that point in my career in creating a persona. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so, you know, definitely would fill a lot of blanks in with just my own personality, uh, and let the rest kind of fall into place. And as I got new information, if new information would show up that seemed contrary to the way I behaved in the past, I thought that's fine because I think it's, it's very human to con be contradictory. Yeah. Um, cause not everyone behaves the way you'd imagine they would in a given situation. So, you know, I, I didn't worry too much about that. Right. I mean, I, I think it's kind of, there's a great example that, um, Matt Fox had given at one point in the pilot when he pulls the, he has the, the bottles of alcohol, the little bottles of alcohol. And he says, uh, you know, I just need to know like how important it is. I don't necessarily need to know why it's so important yet, but, uh, just like kind of, so I have the right, you want the right level to tell whatever story that you have coming up. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, audiences have, have ways of filling in blanks as well. Um, if the, you know, this is a rewatch podcast. So as people, you know, Later episodes show up, they'll be like, "Oh, that explains why this happened back right. then, <laughs> right. or why that why that person stared off the way they did at the end of a certain episode, or things like that." And uh, that that stuff, you know, that that just comes later. So uh, knowing that he's kind of defensive about it, I figured that part out from the script because he just wanted anyone to call him crazy. Yeah. Yeah. and that it put his family through a lot and so we just kind of and i was like that's fine that, that that's enough to know because he's not in there now right. and we just know he has a history there there is this there's this stunt in this episode that terrifies me because i have a huge fear of heights which is the bridge ah. stunt um yeah. <laughs> can you what was it like filming that you know was there a lot of green screen involved or were you actually on a bridge or how did you do all of that there was a bridge. It it wasn't as high. I mean, it was it was up there, right. but it wasn't like the, what was green screen was that shot through the bridge, and you see what's like rocks and it's almost like a creek or something underneath or whatever that is. That wasn't there. That the, it was basically a bridge over uh, a dirt road area um, because there was a uh, there was just essentially like a giant forklift thing that could uh lift uh like if it needed to if if we needed to be saved off the bridge the forklift would lift up and we'd climb onto whatever the platform that was on the forklift and then get lowered down again um it was it was a suspension bridge we did have uh i had like a a thing strapped around me and and i would run my hand along it like it was like this thing that was attached to um the stronger core, like the bridge was like vines that were wrapped around a stronger bridge. The hardest thing about the bridge was there was no right hand side to the bridge. Right. Yeah. So crossing that bridge, uh, it, the, the boards on the bottom tended to bend outward towards the opening. Cause there's nothing holding that side, nothing suspending right. that side. Yeah. And so that was a bit of, uh, of, a challenge or just something to, to get past. And, uh, I noticed after I got off the bridge, after I made the cross and, 
when I got off the bridge, my feet hurt so bad. And it was because my feet were somehow trying to grip onto the bridge through my shoes. And it wasn't until I crossed the bridge that they kind of relaxed and I realized that how, how tight and sore they'd gotten just trying to, just trying to hold onto the bridge through my shoes somehow. Subconscious. That's some, that's some sort of like we were descended from apes uh, yeah. behavior right there. Um, and then you've got this, this great, uh, scene with, with Mira who plays Danielle and, uh, it's so intense on both sides. I was wondering if you can, I know it's like so long ago, but if you can recall any sort of prep, uh, that you guys did, did for that scene, uh, together or if you just came at it, you know. I, I don't, not too much. I think we, I, we, we might have gone over the lines in the chairs beforehand that was, I think that was, uh, I did, uh, the run and fall and I kind of like my feet fly up almost like scorpion back. And that was, uh, that was my first, that was the first stunt, uh, or I don't really think if I did, Oh, I did. Why well, I did jump run and jump in the sand in the pilot, but th- that was kind of like the, f- the, my first real stunt during the series. Uh, shooting the episodes of it. And I, I actually, I think the, the stunt coordinator ended up giving me like the stunt union t-shirt for doing my stunt. <laughs> <Nice. laughs> this is what I learned. I also learned that when I do, cause I had, I, uh, that was the first of, uh, a, a long future of trip falls, uh, on the show. And I learned that when I, when I fall, I, I slide, I, I, I move way more forward than a usual trip fall for, I think most people. So like, I'd always like when they come and set the pad up, I'm always pushing the pad further away from me because I know I'm going <laughs> to, like, I'm going to clear a little bit of space <laughs> before I actually hit yeah. the ground. And then something that I love about Hurley in general and specifically in this episode is there's like, there's a pushback on some of the like, I don't know, fat jokes or fat comments, you know, that Hurley's just like, no, fuck you. I don't, I, you don't get to like, just drop that on me. The Hurley Charlie relationship was definitely one of the deepest as far as in, in the whole run of the show, as far as like one of the strongest relationships in the show. So, um, we got a lot of good stuff together. They, that wasn't as the, the, the stuff, the, the Hurley Irily stuff was always like stuff like when, um, you know, he, he finds a random thing with crackers in it and, and eats them, even though we don't know how old they are and all that kind of business was always kind of a, a bit of like, uh, boy. Was there any performer who you immediately, I don't know, maybe it is Dom, like who you immediately were like, this person's so easy to do a scene with. This is the person that I love doing a scene with. Oh, that's interesting. Um, well, there's, there, it's, it's, it's hard to pick favorites in that sense. There's, there's an interesting part of this is dynamics are different in the way that you start writing relationships. Like, like Hurley Jackson's have a fun charm to them where I don't know. There's like this quality that Hurley seems to entertain Jack. Uh, on some level. And, and that was always kind of fun to do. It actually got very bad with me and Matthew. Cause we would just make each other laugh a lot, uh, <laughs> uh-huh. on set. In fact, there's a scene that's way in the future 
Well, okay, there's a scene between me and Jack. I'll specify in the spoiler section which scene it is. But basically what happens is we uh, we find ourselves – there's other scenes going on. It's one of those situations where you know uh, we have people who are in our background are now doing their scene and stuff. And so we have to be in their background just staring at each other, and we cannot do that. So we we ended up stepping like – stepping to the side you know like me to the right into the left but in profile we look like we're still in front of each other so that we could look beyond each other at something and not crack up scenes with terry were amazing too because he was just a great actor and he was like he was someone i remember entering the pilot just uh riding the the van back to the hotel or riding the van up to the north shore uh, from the hotel, and uh, and I had like I, I'd, I'd seen him. I remember him from the Rocketeer, and I was like, yeah. oh wow, this is cool. And so just kind of chatting with him, and he was super nice. One one more thing about this episode specifically, this was the one where I had to um, explain to my manager and friends to um, to have, set your DVR so they record an extra five minutes because if your DVR cuts off early, you will miss stingers at the end of an episode. And the, cause he missed the part that they then pan down to the, that the hatch having the number on it. And so this was kind of like going, Oh no, you have to set it. So your DVR cuts off like five minutes later and you guys start or record the next show after whatever was following us at the time to you know or as you might miss a key part which would be the part that people are going to be talking about this week i love that idea that like whatever followed you maybe got like a tivo boost because you <laughs> want to make sure they didn't miss the end of life. yeah well, we also had like later on we started having like extra long episodes where it was like almost like little uh yeah ratings trick to be like oh if we bleed into the next hour we'll get a little right. like the nielsen bump <laughs> for the next for the following show um, and then I guess, you know, my last question for you and thank you again for your time is, uh, I don't know, this is an odd one, but like, <laughs> why do you think people love Hurley so much? Why is Hurley, we did a poll with our listeners, a bunch of our listeners, and they sort of ranked all the characters uh-huh. and Hurley is just like right up there on the top for almost everyone. And so I'm just curious, you know, what you think, and especially since you filled in so many gaps with your own personality, is it weird to be like, okay, there's, there's a character who's pretty close to who I am. They're like, everyone watches the show loves like, is that, what is that? It, I don't know. It's interesting. Cause I was like watching, Watching, I I decided because I wasn't sure if I should watch it to keep it have it fresh in my mind, and so I um I popped I popped it in this morning actually, and I watched numbers, and uh-huh. it's interesting because there's so much distance now between me and Hurley, and he's he seems either that or I've changed, but he seems also just kind of like mentally distant from where I am today in some levels, or even maybe as an actor, uh, there's, I mean, it is kind of interesting to kind of watch it now. And I was like, I was like, Oh, his, his voice sounds kind of different. I feel even. And, uh, and, and I was just, I, 
this is just off the top of my head and just thinking right now, I, I think the most information I got was in the pilot. Like a lot of it was based on what I got out of the script in the pilot and my start, uh, at Hurley was essentially that he's, uh, he's basically me only I'm a better speller <laughs> because I said like B O D Y S in the, in the pilot. Uh-huh. And so then the, um, so kind of like starting, that was kind of one of the, the, the bits that inform me as to Hurley's personality and style. So there's, there's, he has a great simplicity to him and in the way he sees the world and the way he just kind of, and so that, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, like I don't, I don't, I wouldn't call him dumb, but he he he's a little more simple. Yeah. And and that was, you know, as far as my playing of him, that 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 kind of like, kind of like finding that part and seeing how that the lines worked around with that mindset. The the other was he was he early on he was. Uh, tasked with being the voice of the audience. And right. so he's the one who asks uh, if the thing in the woods, the dinosaur, which is what everyone's first um, prediction was um, because it felt very Jurassic Park, you know, that he, you know, when yeah, the yeah. trees are moving. And yeah. so he got to be the one that says, is it a dinosaur? Do you think it's a dinosaur? And he's like, no, dinosaurs are extinct. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and so, and so, in that sense, he he got to address things. Same thing he addresses things like he talks about, have, you know, like what's going on with you and Kate, and you know, he gets to be the person who says those things out loud, right? Uh, and so that made him kind of a connection, I think, to the people watching the TV as well. This is maybe a deeply silly question, but I promised uh, my roommate who has beautiful curly hair similar to yours that I would ask, which is like, what tips do you have for curly hair in Island humidity? Oh man, my hair is terrible in this episode. It is (laughs) frizzy. It's, and it swings out like a bell. It's like a gumdrop. It wasn't, it was later. They came up with ways to make my hair lay flatter. And there's this whole, um, uh, cocktail of stuff that they put in my hair for it. Um, tips i don't know like the heaviest hairdressing as possible uh, <laughs> is the best uh i just yeah i just kind of i try whatever they have and and then you know there was like on this i i remember they did a lot of like the top they put it they would mix argon oil with the like heavy like texture cream or something like that for it but um Ah, uh, there's nothing you can do. It's just the hair's just gonna do what it does. <laughs> I was like, there's times when I I'd have stuff where they they do my hair, and I'm like, all right, go ahead. But um, you know, my hair tends to spring, you know, in, into curls again, no matter what you try to do. Uh, on Y5O, they got some really strong stuff, and that they were able to pretty much mat down my hair pretty good with that stuff. 
Well, I mean, you you've lived on Hawaii for quite a long time, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if like you had your own like you learned from the from the hair ladies how to like live that island life. Nah. And, well, <laughs> in Hawaii, I just let it do what it does. Yeah. Headbands, headbands <laughs> to keep it out of the face. Something we've been doing for our episodes is picking out like the most 2004 thing about an episode because there's just some fun like relics of references and stuff like that. Um, if you had to pick like a most 2004 thing about the first season of Lost, do you have something that comes to mind? A 2004 thing? Um, I don't know. I, I definitely feel Hurley's Hummer is definitely a it's it, it's kind of a museum piece the thought uh like uh, that those were driven right the the h2 the 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 i don't know the the luxury hummer it's like they it wasn't like like the, the first hummer was definitely a military vehicle and these were just giant boxy cars really um <laughs> i mean yeah, I, I like, think- it is interesting in retrospect that 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 those cars, so like, like how the move now has gone to smaller cars and more fuel efficiency and out this giant, giant car. Right. The H2, the thing about the H2 is great for parents because, uh, the back seats are separated quite a bit. So the kids won't be able to reach each other. <laughs> That's a good tip. Yeah. I remember that, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger when he was governor, Drove an H2. Oh, yeah. Uh, and took a helicopter from LA to, or, or something like frequent trips from LA to Sacramento. We were like, all right, that's great for the environment. Thank you so mm-hmm. much, Governor Schwarzenegger. Um, all right. Well, is there anything else you want to like mention about loss that people, that people should hear your, your thoughts and feelings? I'm impressed. I'm impressed to meet people who are new that, you know, that, that there's, there's people who can still get spoiled on it. I know it's uh it, we have a ton of people who are watching for the first time. It's kind of amazing. That's and amazing. And they're having issues watching it week to week because we're all like used to the binge watch now and so they're sure. like, "Oh, I have to wait a whole week." And I'm like, "It's all right. Calm down." Um and and it's and that's fun too because they'll uh you know, they get so stressed about certain things. It's funny how the show the show kept going and got harder and harder to binge. Um, you know, this is we're still talking pre-netflix streaming and yeah. stuff so it was like you had to binge on dvds yeah and and how, how much or or i guess itunes and it just uh it got later and later and later the people would be like oh yeah and then you're hearing people saying that they they binged it i binged like i binged it all in a weekend and it's like i binged it all in a week you know <laughs> or like or if someone says like i binged it in like three days and i was like you were up very late if you were doing it in three days <laughs> and it, it was like this kind of thing we got to a point where we you're like well i think we we've reached peak audience at this point um people are so into it it's really great and like people it's not just like the people watching for the first time it's like the people who are re-watching either for the first time or like have rewatched it a million times you know and they're all just like really excited to be able to Talk about it with each other. It's it's been really sweet. Yeah, it's like whenever I post something on Instagram that's lost related, yeah. it, the likes blow out of the water. Everything. Yeah. yeah. 
that's the anything else that I post. Like when you do those end of the year and you they'll make a collage of like all your your most like posts of the year, it'd be like it'll be a hundred percent lost posts. And I was like, nah, all right. Well I guess I'll make up my own list. Do you ever do you like off the record, do you have any thoughts about the the rumors that they're gonna do sort of a a revival or a reboot? Do you have any feel lot thoughts and feelings? I mean I haven't I haven't been approached. I, I know all I know is that one story that got picked up in a lot of places was when uh, the new VP of programming at ABC was asked um, what. Oh, it's because it's, you, you, you've heard this, right? It came out of like a t- TCA. TCA. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was like so they ran that kind of the clip that's like, oh, ABC, we've brought you all these great things. And uh and then, and there was definitely lost clips in there, and uh, I think alias clips in there. And when they asked that person what reboots they she be interested in, or they asked, should we read into that trailer? And she's like, sure. And then uh, she <laughs> says that she had said that, yeah. And if anyone asked me what reboots I would do, I first, you know, basically I say lost, and I say alias, kind of every time. And that's that's kind of been the end of the story as far as anything that i have information of i mean i think uh wait what do people feel about it is that something that people be excited about or or some people feel feel like oh you're going to mess with my childhood oh i don't know you're gonna ruin my memories ghostbusters (laughs) you know um, all that kind of crap yeah i mean i think yeah i think people are um like cautiously excited you know what i mean like i feel like and i feel the same way like if they're gonna do it some because sometimes when they do these reboots revivals it's a great idea and it works really well you know and then sometimes you're like oh you didn't have an idea you just like wanted that brand name to you know boost your launch of something do you know what i mean so yeah if they have a great idea i'm super into it myself but you know if they if they're just doing it so that they can say lost yeah, like the like like um like the heroes revival or you know stuff like that where I'm just sort of like, did you have an idea or did you just want to? So I was doing an episode of Talking Dead with mm-hmm. Scott Gimple, and um, yeah. he was a big fan of Lost, and so then we were sitting there, and and, and he had talked about um, a Lost reboot, and so he started like kind of like spitballing, like, all right, let's see, so what what would it be? Let's come up with a, what, what would that story be? And he kind of had like his little ideas of like. A reboot would be fun. I, I I'd be I'd be interested in 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 seeing it, seeing what they did. I like it's kinda like this whole thing how like the there's people writing stories that have happened in the world of Star Wars that aren't, you know, you know, the, the first three movies. And I was like, Oh, look cool. That's cool. This is kinda like to to kind of see people play in the world a bit. Like there's just there's there's tons of stuff from before that was just barely, you know, scratched the surface as far as like uh, before our plane crash, what happened on that island, which could all be um, worthy stories, or or even if it was just a, a full reboot and kind of like see someone else play our archetypes, yeah, kind of thing, you know, that'd be interesting. Or what they'll do, <laughs> they're like, oh, this time this person is a woman. <laughs> you know, or something like that. Yeah. Just kind of like, yeah. be like, there's our look what we did. Kind of, uh, you know, just so. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm cool with it. I don't. Uh, 
I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't feel I have like an ownership of it that requires that it requires protecting of any kind. Um, yeah, I think let's see, let's see, let's see what people come up with. Let's see. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't hurt, you know, if something is a subpar reboot or revival of something, it doesn't like erase the thing that came before. Who cares? Do you know what I mean? It's just sort of like, okay, that happened and either we'll remember it or we won't, but we'll still always remember the original. So Right. But does it because there are the people who you meet who when you mention something and they only know the new version of it and you go, oh. Oh, you don't know that this was a show that existed before? Or you don't know that this was a movie from the 60s? You know, and I go, oh. so in some Wait, like- <laughs> in some minds, it does erase the thing that happened before. Yeah, I guess I guess that's true. If 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 kids only know like the new Beauty and the Beast, uh, I would be sad or something like that. So, Oh, the live action Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Gotta watch the cartoon, right? Or uh, oh, that, I love the, that the people, 60s parent trap and people only know the Lindsay mm, Lohan parent you trap. See, and see like, that stuff. See, in th- that <laughs> sense, they do get erased. You're right. You're right. That's a good point. All right. I will let you go. Thank you again for your time. All right. Now is the time on the show where we like to thank our small council Patreon subscribers at the $10 level. You get all sorts of bonus content from us, including these thanks. I will start with a few newcomers to the small council. That's Spencer Howard, Susan P., Christina Delaquila, Nick Mendoza, and Melinda Rubin, Yuki Okada, Elizabeth Stelner, Liza Schultz, Jason Hartman, Ainsley Clark, Samantha Gonzalez, Jess, Shanna Drake Kelleher, um, Avendul, uh, Lauren Easley, Rebecca Siobhan Braid, uh, Nicole Capus, Monica, and Jamie. Thank you all so much. And I would like to add to those thanks Beth, Tony Livingston, Fahim Ibrahim, Lauren Galbraith, Stephanie, Ali Karaka, Ryan Casas, Diane Henry, Saniva. Agard, Fibo Trollio, Jessica Parton, Christopher Mack, Paul, Jennifer Carnavale, Re- Renee Acosta, Morgan McGrew, Alejandra Pozos, Sean O'Connor, Sarah Finnamore, and Genevieve Fairclough. And I would like to thank the following folks Melanie Shu, Nikki Hyde, Ben, Damon Van Vuren, Michelle, Nathan Miller, Josh, Benjamin Birdie, Kat Reeves, Cheryl Nelson, Mary Henderson, Amara Luz, Vanessa Marshall, Seth Freilich, Corinne Ball, or Corinne Ball, sorry, Jessica Scott, Sarah Stone, Matthew Wilson, Tim McGregor, and Sarah Cooper. Thank you all for being part of the Small Council. To talk about the Valenzetti equation eventually, but I'm going to throw out a Joanna because I don't want to overwhelm anybody. Joanna, do we have an email we want to read here in the storm? Um, I think I want to save that email. I'm going to save it for another time. Oh, okay. I think, I think it'll work better after the one that we read next week if I have my timeline straight. So, yeah. 
Um, Good. You got to just find your constant and get the emails. Here's my pushback on the Valenzetti equation, which you brought up in like the very first episode. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? But anyway, (laughs) so the numbers mean two things concretely. Number one, the numbers wind up being the numbers that are next to the like final candidates uh, that Jacob draws to the island. Right. Yes. Um, so that's one thing, but then also they are, they are the integers in the equation, the Valenzetti equation, which theoretically is a thing that predicts the end of the world. What I didn't realize when you first brought them up is that the Valenzetti equation, though it's like kind of mentioned in the show, is like mostly a thing from the lost experience. This yes. like uh, outside the show game. And like, I don't mind not explaining what the numbers are really. Like if Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse wanted to like keep the numbers thing kind of vague, I don't mind that at all. I think putting it into like a lost experience, uh, was it a game? I don't like an online experience, whatever the case yes. may be. You know, like an um, ARG type of thing. Correct. Yeah. I think that is pretty silly. And Jorge Garcia said similar. <laughs> he was like, I wasn't really into the fact that they was like part of this thing that like a lot of people who watched the show had no idea what it was. And so like, I kind of feel like if they didn't want to explain the numbers, they should have just not explained the numbers and I'm fine with that. But to come up with this equation, it's very JJ. It's very like later season alias to do this. And I, I, I gotta say, it's the thing about loss that I'm not a fan of. Um, uh, I guess the reason I enjoy the numbers from like a world building perspective is that they took the question, like, what's the significance of the numbers and why is the Dharma initiative on the island and gave them an answer? Like, should anybody go looking? And a lot of my post series theorizing is a based on a lot of that material because like, as we've also talked about on the final season like blu-ray release they had a whole short and then like other extras that were you know pieces of dharma film to like add context to things that we've seen and answer all the questions so i I wouldn't say necessarily that's important but i do think it's interesting that it's out there if if that makes like is the valenzetti equation important to the show no not really but then it's like if you ever get to the question of why did the dharma initiative uh, a stat what it what is it supposed to be besides a mysterious organization and what is it doing on the island um yeah it never really goes beyond like opposing charles whitmore i don't think i mean i guess um i generally am not a huge fan of like eu stuff extended universe stuff not and, a big and- fan of the a are what are they alternate reality games mm-hmm. <laughs> And that's part of marketing. Yeah. And that being like canon somehow. Like, I think if it's like, if it's part of the story, it should be in the show. You know, weren't you just last week citing a Mobisode? No, and you were like, (laughs) it's not, it doesn't matter if you see it or not, whether or not they kissed. You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing is like, so is your argument that the, the numbers, actually do like the meaning of the numbers actually does matter so it should be in the show because i i've always kind of thought like especially around like the lost experience that's just all like really interesting and really intricate and really fun but it's not necessary but i guess i think i would rather i feel it feels like a half measure i think i would rather either they not explain it at all or if they're going to explain it explain it in the show rather than outside of the show. 
Well, it did with the Jacob number things. Yeah, but then it means two things? Uh, it doesn't mean that... If there oh, no. actually is oh, an no. algorithm we don't know about that has key numbers, you know, that we haven't seen that predicts the end of the world and how to change it, those four numbers could also, you know, be the people that can change the end of the world, which is what they prevent. Um, You just used your exasperated tone of voice that you only use with, like, David Ehrlich, so I'm going to back off this uh, <laughs> conversation. I, I just tried to do it all in one breath without <laughs> sniffing inwards, so it just might have sounded exasperated. I mean, I think what this boils down to, if you want me to use that tone, is I think it's cool and you don't. I don't want you to use that tone. That's what I'm <laughs> All right, let's talk about Hurley and his daddy issues. Uh, Hurley does have daddy issues. We just don't know about them yet. Uh, oh, that's right. Cheech Marin plays his dad, who abandoned them when they were young and came back uh, when, when they were um, rich. The money, yeah. Uh, but yeah. but in Hurley's the end, the only he's one like, that doesn't have like daddy issues from the jump on the show, at least. Right, that they explicitly talk about. Um. What's interesting about that episode, and I love all Hurley episodes, uh, and we will get to them when we get to them, but like that episode, which is Trisha Tanaka's dad, which is one of my favorite episodes of Lost, um, you think, you think you know this story, right? Like deadbeat dad comes back when there's money in the family, but then like it turns out Cheech Marin's character is like kind of, is kind of good for Hurley and is around and is supportive. So, like, even if he is there opportunistically for money, like, he's not then also, like, bad. <laughs> like, he's earning his keep, <laughs> his keep, I guess, is, like, what I would say. Because, like, when once Hurley comes back off the, you know, when he's, like, comes back, they, like, you know, they, like, throw him that luau party, which is, like, slightly in bad taste, but at least is, like, I think, well-meant. Uh, and also he, like, hides them when they're on the lamb. You know what I mean? So, like, Hurley's dad is a complicated uh daddy issue figure in the show in the show yeah it's not as clear-cut as like jack and sawyer <laughs> and Locke. well i guess Locke is a whole different story but you know it's all pretty clear-cut with those guys i have a follow-up question yes danielle says the radio towers near the black rock but later, like when they go looking for the dynamite or whatever in the black rock it feels like they don't have to go that far Whereas the radio tower is like presented as this crazy trek across half the island or whatever. So I don't know. Like when she says the black rock is near the radio tower, I think I need to consult a map of the island and it's various. Maybe, maybe this is like Westerosi, uh, air travel time and I need to not get like, <laughs> well, and, it. and there is like the island definitely does or like the show presents different forms of travel like there's like the stuff that they have to go through the woods to get to and then the radio tower is one where they like go around the outside of the island right or are we not there to that yet where it's like there's stuff that like feels like longer distance because they're like walking along the shore well instead of going across the island through the jungle also on the like map that Saeed's brandishing about he's like you know if he if she's marked anything like what you're looking for is here that's not the camp right that's the black rock that he's like deciphered they just don't go there they follow Hurley through the yeah, traps yeah it's either that or the radio tower this is fascinating Collider has a map of the lost island that I don't know if it's I don't know if it's canon but it is fascinating to look at 
Anyway, if you are listening and you are an expert and you have a preferred uh, lost map that you like to look at, um, please. Oh, yeah, I guess they are. I found one. They are kind of close. They're like both yeah. like, on, on the middle of the lower half of the island, I guess. Right, right. Yeah. Um, Not far from the uh, Beechcraft. The Beechcraft. is about to come into play. We will talk about it next week's episode. That we've definitely already recorded. Um, isn't it weird? And I found this out when we were recording last week's episode that Beechcraft is spelled with the, like, what does Beechcraft mean if not related to the beach? Because it's not spelled like, um, beach. Isn't you know? there, doesn't be the, with two E's, doesn't that mean something else? Uh, no, it's founded by a family, the Beach family, B E E C H. So just took yeah. me two well seconds then. of Googling to answer I guess the Beach family is like really annoyed by people who like assume it's spelled the other way. <laughs> well, it's when like they it's say, a boat that you use on the water. Yeah, when they say Beechcraft, I'm like, yeah, I know what a Beechcraft is. It's like, I get it. And then there, and then I like saw it right now and I was like, oh, maybe I don't get it. Um, what are we talking about uh, Stormwise in this section? Other than uh, we're not talking about the numbers anymore because I don't want to hear Dave. <sighs> <laughs> I mean, should we just let him do his prepared monologue about the Valenzetti? We're not going to talk about it now. When are we going to? I mean, oh, lockdown will have about- some, and then you could have Katie Rich to you could talk absorb. The, you could talk about the Valenzetti equation. <clears throat> so after the Cuban Missile Crisis, a mathematician whose last name is Valenzetti came up with an equation whose main numbers or variables, depending on what you're reading, are the numbers that appear in Lost. The Dharma Initiative found this really potent island with this source of weird energy and is conducting experiments there to try and change those numbers and prevent the end of the world. Done. That's what the numbers are. Great. Nailed it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Fun. Sweet. And then, yes, I think the next time, or I think the only time, like, Valenzetti pops up is during lockdown, because during season two, the Lost Experience is running, or had run. Uh, But we'll talk about that, I'm sure, in future podcasts. Uh, Yeah. Um, And then, what? I had forgotten that we came back, that Hurley used the cord down to the other station to find its way back and then it went into the ground. Do we ever learn what the ground side tunnels to, or is it just that's power for the underwater station? Well, um, um what do you mean? Because uh when they do when they do through the looking glass, Desmond like kicks it up and they pull it up out of the sand and they and they use that to follow out to the looking glass. Is that what you're talking mm-hmm. about? Right. Well, but, but then, it dead ends in the jungle. Here, yeah. In this episode, oh. it dead ends in the jungle just goes underground. I assume it's the power, but... Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. The only thing, according to the map, now that I'm fascinated by this map, <laughs> the only thing over there is the lighthouse. <laughs> it's also over there. Which so is like only sometimes it. over there, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Dep- so maybe <laughs> i don't know what you're looking at <laughs> um maybe it just powers the island the, um, the maybe island the dark, maybe it's the dark crystal yes um, the dark crystal sure. of course <laughs> next to the light cork it all makes sense there's one white and there's one black <laughs> um 
Uh, yeah, spoiler-wise, I don't know if there's, like, much, like, lore stuff to talk about. I mean, it's a great episode, but all Hurley episodes are just, like, such a welcome breath of fresh air, except for maybe Dave. Um, oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm a big, I'm a big Hurley episode fan and a big, a big fan of like what Hurley represents on the island. So, yeah, this episode kind of, uh, slow plays the hatch as a lead into next episode, but I do like it in that it's on the previously on and you're like, Oh, good. Back to the hatch. And then it's not until like the very end of the episode and you're like, Oh my God, right. Hatch. And then, you know, that's where we'll pick up uh, next week, I think. Uh, Neil, where are we going yes. next week uh, on the storm? We are headed to Deus Ex Machina, which is a lock episode, episode 19. And we have uh, some surprises in this episode, mm. I guess, mm-hmm. is uh, as far as I'm going to take that. Good yeah. to take it. Some podcast-related <laughs> surprises. Not, I mean, the episode will be plenty surprising. Trust me. Well, they're also in the storm, so like they know, they know. Oh, Boone, yeah. Boone fall down. You guys get it. Boone fall Boone down fall the cliff. Down. Boone fall up the cliff. Fall up the cliff. All right, excellent. Uh, until next week, uh, or for our Patreon subscribers, probably tomorrow we have bonus content coming out. It seems to be how it goes these days. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? Let's start with Joanna Robinson. Uh, you can find me on VanityFair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. You can hear me talking about all kinds of stuff on the Little Gold Men podcast, on the Still Watching podcast where we're talking about succession, on the Boiler Room podcast where we're talking about my so-called life, or here, talking about Lost with you. And Mr. Neil Miller. Oh, as always, you get me over at uh, filmschoolrejects.com. We recently finished Movie Memes Week. We got obsessed with memes. It was fun. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Rejects. Don't forget to follow the show at Storm Podcast. Got all kinds of fun stuff up there for you. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can find me on Twitter at DA7E. You can also find me at the Fighting in the War Room podcast on the Fighting in the War Room podcast. Actually, sometimes I am just kind of at there and listening to the other people fight, but it's good fight, so you, you'll enjoy it. Uh, you can find that wherever, you know, fine podcasts are served. And uh, it's a very important when you're crossing a bridge in the jungle uh, in search of answers about some numbers, but also important in everyday life and to your own personal safety. Uh, so I urge you, do not fall down. <laughs> <laughs>